Welcome to What's Your Beef? What's Your Beef is proudly supported by Suncorp Bank, helping local producers through the ups and downs since 1902. Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, this is What's Your Beef and I'm Jane Cudahy. The Australian beef industry is in a constant state of improvement thanks to the tireless dedication our research and development bodies put into examining production systems, their failings and their triumphs. Dr Geoffrey Fordyce is one of Australia's leading authorities on genetics and fertility, following a long career first as a vet and then with Queensland's Agriculture Department and most recently as a Senior Research Fellow at the Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation and an Adjunct Associate Professor at James Cook University. He was at Beef 21 for a range of reasons, but principally to talk about his latest paper, a deep dive into the Australian cattle herd, a new perspective on structure, performance and production. He and his team had realised there was a great discrepancy in what the reported size of the northern beef herd was and what is actually on the ground. What followed is groundbreaking research into the number of calf mortalities in our beef systems and how businesses can take back lost revenue by improving their genetics. My old man had a cattle station and yeah, I used to just go mustering and dipping all the time. <laughs> I was a bit more interested in, in what was going on other than what was being dipped forever. And why were we doing that? Um, and uh, I suppose that was behind why I ended up in a veterinary school and studying vet science. And, yeah, I went off and uh, played in the dog and cat game for a while because I just had to get the, the knife and the, and the bruise out of my system and I, I played with that and that was good fun. But then I really wanted to get back into the cattle industry, which is, which is where I wanted to be. It was something that I understood and... But I knew there were lots of questions and I was interested in... I didn't really know exactly what I was interested in, but I knew I was interested in the the whole beef system, which is a bit different. A lot of people want to get into something really specific, like, uh, you know, um, say parasites or something, or, you know, something like that. But I was interested in not just the parasite, but how it affected, say, fertility, and then how that affected how much money you made, um, which is, I suppose, a bit different. But I became more of a generalist, and I was really lucky because I, when, I, when I got the dogs and cats out of my system, I went back to James Cook Uni, which was pretty young in those days. It was not an undergraduate school. It was only a postgraduate school where you did higher degrees. And I had some of the most amazing people uh, as supervisors, a guy called Mike Goddard, who's now, you know, he's one of the guys, along with Ben Hayes, that wrote the paper the paper on how to do genomics you know he was my supervisor cracky I'm lucky and there was another guy called Keith Entwistle and he was just another legend um, poor old Keith he got the prostate cancer and, and and we no longer have him but he was um, he was a sensational man and I had these guys as my supervisors we, in my early career and mentors another guy called Dick Holroyd another sensational person um, just legends and here I was just in the middle of those guys and learning my trade and you know they pulled me up and headed me in the right direction And but most importantly what they did was listen to what I was interested in and, and it helped me sort of gradually um, nestle into the area of breeding herd systems you know and, and what happens in those systems which is intriguing in a way because 
If you're interested in reproduction, everyone just automatically thinks that you play artificial breeding, and I don't. So what do you, when you say system, because you've said the system a few times, what is that to you when you've just, you know, said what you just said then? Yeah, so it's, it, nothing happens in isolation, you know. So if, if you do some research and you may say that has an impact on the ability of a cows to wean calves, you know, you might get 50 more calves out of a 1,000 cows. Well, that's only one side of it. What did it cost you? The, the, does that mean that you run less cows or more cows and... How does that impact on your wiener crop and then what you've got to do with them and how many cattle can you run in the station? And that's my interest is not... I'm still very interested in the, in the you know, the biology of that starts all that, but then how it impacts in the system. Yeah, exactly, and, and the actual grassroots applications in the paddock that you're seeing. You've just released uh, a paper that you, you've written with um, some colleagues and in other industry experts. What is it and what did you find? The one I'm sure you're referring to is about um, the Australian herd. That was an interesting experience because I've been part of a uh, one of the architects of a of a process that MLA has embraced called NB2 or Northern Beef Business um, and in developing that I was asking the question probably to myself um, if we're trying to push or help people not push but help people improve their systems and say well we think that you know maybe there's an opportunity to improve reproduction improve growth improve survival improve live weight gain is there opportunity to do that what is what is actually happening in Australia so I thought well, this must have been reviewed about 100 times, so I'll just go and, rather than repeat some other poor bugger's work, I'll just go and find out what someone else did, and then I can be more comfortable in, in the processes that we're trying to develop. And, uh, you know, I was to find out that it wasn't there, that information wasn't there. I thought, well, the only way to fix that is do it. And I, I got about trying to work it out. Now, I, it wasn't easy because there were, there were some serious problems with the data that's available in Australia. Probably the fundamental problem is that um, survey agencies go around asking people things and people just tell them what they like because they don't have to tell them the truth in a survey so they tell them what they like and the survey agencies write that down and once it's on a pretty piece of paper it's taken as fact and unfortunately it ain't and so all so you found some discrepancies then in, in what you believed was on the ground and what the surveys were telling you? Oh, sure, yeah. Serious discrepancies. And uh, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, that's all in the past. I, I think that those discrepancies are, are a bit unfortunate and I'm just so surprised that it took me, took someone like me to look at it all these over all these years and realise that there was a real problem. Where, though, like when you're talking about the survey, what kind of discrepancies... In what part of the system? As a very simple example, if you've got if you've got a herd like we've got in Australia, and you slaughter eight million, and you export one point three million or something, and you know there's half a million or more dying, you know, from whatever cause in the paddock. So you've got a, a ten million cattle exiting the herd, and you know, surveys data says well, there's only six and a half million calves being weaned every year, replacing that ten million. The herd's going to disappear real quick. So uh, it's just, just rubbish. You know, I, I knew that the, the slaughter and the live export data is true, so the other stuff must be rubbish. So what's the truth? That was my question. 
So I heard the term this morning used by David Bonfield in that excellent uh, interview that him and Prue did with um, at the Rural Press Club breakfast, and he used the term of reverse engineering, and that's essentially what I did. So I said, this is an outcome of our industry. Um, this is the only reliable data I have, is the numbers of cattle, female cattle and male cattle, that are slaughtered each year and what's their weight, and the number of cattle that are live exported and what's their weight. That's all I had. And plus some other... Um, professional opinion and pub- some published data that was reliable, particularly from a project called Cash Cow, and and then using that, I reversed engineered every year for 50 years what must have happened to create that outcome. And this is with the national herd numbers. That's with the national herd. The data is yeah, there's data that's collected on a state by base state basis, but. There's a huge movements of animals between states, so it's very difficult to know where they come from. You know, if something went through an abattoir in New South Wales, doesn't mean to say it was born and lived in New South Wales. So I just approached it from a national point of view. And you have to be very careful with very broad data because if you drill, it, it, you can answer questions at a higher order quite accurately, but if you start to drill too deep, you start inventing rubbish. So I, I just kept it at that broader level at a national perspective to, to get a a good clear understanding of what was happening in our industry. And then this wasn't the, this you know was just the start of where your research was so this is just the, the pre-work wasn't it? So what, what was the next step? We've got huge opportunity to improve growth, reproduction and survival in our industry. There is big room for improvement. Now yeah some businesses are already doing a very smick job but there's plenty of businesses that aren't and have significant opportunity to prove. And the data clearly shows that. For, an, for example, what I was able to demonstrate was that average live weight production per animal in Australia is around about 130 kilograms. But average annual growth of cattle in Australia is you know, at least 40 kilograms higher than that. So we're well off where we could be nationally. We know that in you know, in the systems work that we do, that if yielding growth is, you know, 150, well, average annual growth or live weight production of all animals in that system is higher than 150. But here we have a national herd where um, average annual growth is, you know, well in excess of 150, probably closer to 180, and average annual live weight production is only 130. Um, there's lots of reasons for that. Uh, I'm, you know, we're not able to say specifically what they are um, because we don't have the, you know, the clear data. But we know that there's a, you know, a big opportunity to improve. So what do you, like you, you've identified that there's a problem, you've identified that there's some discrepancies there. What is going to come out of this? What are you hoping that producers are doing on the ground to sort of make uh, a lot of that make more sense? The work that this paper did is probably less aimed at individual producers but more aimed at policy level. And so, for instance, governments, what do they, how do they spend their money if the problem's with growth? Well... Put your money into fixing growth. Don't put it into fertility, for instance. Um, that's 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 where the where its biggest impact in there is is trying to get the correct perspective on what's important. So, you know, an example could be if the herd is a lot bigger than people think it is, and it is a lot bigger than people think it is, then is that a is that a problem for at a national level for um, the impact of the herd on our feed base? Because our feed base is at high risk if we abuse it. And we have lots of pastures, for instance, that don't regenerate or recruit replacement species 
you know, maybe once every 70 years. If we go out there and kill those species by inappropriate, you know, having too many cattle and flogging it bare and knocking its head off every time it puts it up, it's going to die. And then what do you got? you got no recruitment other than of weeds for the next 100 years. So... They've proven that. I guess we were speaking also on this podcast series with with members of the Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries, and it's proven that our land quality is degenerating, even though there has been such amazing information and research and extension done for such a long period of time. So why do you think that that message still hasn't broken through, and that even at a policy level, we we still perhaps battling some of the same issues that we were 20 years ago. Funnily enough, it's, it's actually about language, Jane, and how people look at things. So one of my crusades is to, is to try and help people look at business as, as it really is. Um, so, for instance, um, your EBIT, your earnings before interest in tax, is a, is a product. Now, you know, if you're a flour producer or a chocolate producer or a bolt producer whatever you produce what's your product what's it worth and how much did it cost you to produce it right so that's the equation and um, so you know every business in the world does that and except sheep and cheap meat and beef you know and so our our product is live weight and very few people can tell you how many tons of live weight they produced last year they just don't know we don't speak the right language to actually look at our businesses critically and say we We've got this many tons of grass, and we did a. Uh, so that's our first part of our business. The second part of our business is turning that pasture into live weight. Well, how efficient was that process? And then we sell that. And if we're not looking at it like that, then we we're not going to be making really the appropriate decisions about how we manage that. We might get costs wrong. We might do all sorts of things wrong. You know, if you look at the Wombiana trial work, for instance, you could, yeah, sure, you might be able to get higher live weight production per hectare if you do a certain, if you stock in a certain way, but your your risks also escalate, and when it gets dry, you'll be taken out. Um, so these um, this language is really important, and how we look at business is really critical. People think in terms of percentages and heads and that sort of stuff. Well, actually, it's not diagnostic for business health where something like live weight is very much part of business or more accurate business diagnostics. What are the next steps from here? What are you hoping that you know you've released this particular paper? What What's going to come out of that? So I, I, I think quite a number of things. I think multiple agencies that have some responsibilities in rd and will look at it and say well they may adjust their policies in re- in relation to what's been happening, what's the structure of the herd, what potentially could happen. Um, secondly, that when we when we have um, in industry support processes where beef business is being supported through practice change by, you know, um, business support systems like RCS locally or Bushy Agri Business or Brennan Main in Claremont, you know, those sorts of businesses, you know, that. Um, they're actually speaking the right language, um, and and we're speaking a common language. So I'll, I'll, you know, a lot of people are doing a really good job, and they've got all sorts of data and that, but they're not actually speaking a common language that someone else truly understands. And when I say language, what I mean by that is if I have a picture in my head, and let's say it's weaning rate, which is a really common term, and I have a picture in my head, I say the word, Someone else hears it and they build a picture in their head. And that's what communication is. If those two pictures aren't the same, 
I've failed. And in, uh, in our industry, we have all sorts of language where people have different interpretations of the same word, and that's highly problematic. And also, the language is not diagnostic of and helping us make decisions sometimes. Um, and as you said, you've released quite a few papers recently, and mortalities in the north is another one that you've spoken about. Can we speak about that one yet? Yeah, yeah because I think at the time when I was speaking to you about this several months ago, it, it was quite shocking to me um, what you found. So can we talk about that one? Yeah, so <laughs> unfortunately cows do die in the paddock, and, and a lot of that you can't do anything about. You know, So cows have accidents and all sorts of funny things. But in our industry... Um, Going back a big mob long time ago, in the 70s, for instance, um, I calculated something like 4 million cattle a year were dying in in the paddocks, um, particularly in the late 70s when it started to get proper dry um, and in the early 80s, 80, 80 82. Um, and um, around about then, as a result of the 1982-83 drought, there was a, a huge... Um, resurgence in understanding of the use of supplements particularly energy-based supplements and that transformed the um, industry in their ability to manage cattle death because dead ones don't make a lot of money so um, the mortality rates pulled came back to about two and a half million in the in the country annually then it uh, it basically stayed at that level till about 2005 and, and in 2005, we're at the beginning of a, another pretty tough period <coughs> and cattle were still dying at two and a half million a year, pretty bad. But roads were better. People had trucks. People had vertical integration and people could pick cattle up in the Barclays and take them to New South Wales or something, you know, and, and that didn't happen before. And, and huge numbers of cattle were saved by that, by the infrastructure and... and you know, the implementation of better reproductive and nutritional management strategies. It's all really around nutrition. You know, trucking is a nutritional management strategy in a, in a way. Um, so these, these animals were able to be solved. And, and over a 10-year period, the uh, mortality rate of cattle in Australia was halved. But it's still well in excess of a million a year probably. That is fascinating to me when you consider the the cost of land, the cost of uh, the value of beef cattle, you would like to think that people are benchmarking and, and looking after these you know, um, commodities. What does that say to you as, as a keen observer over a long period of time? I think the language has tricked people. You know, um, They use percentages, for instance. So if you say that Oh, I've got a mortality rate of three percent. It sounds fine, you know. It doesn't doesn't sound like it's bad. But if you said, if you got a three thousand animal herd, and you said, oh, you know, I've got a problem. I'm 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 losing sixty tons of live weight from mortalities every year, which is exactly the same as three percent. It'd shock the hell out of you, and and your wife would flog you because she's just missed out on a new kitchen, and you're putting up with that. And um, it, it, it's the percentage talk that tricks them, yeah, rather than talking in absolute terms like kilograms or dollars. Are you surprised that we're still talking about this kind of thing? How are you communicating this to industry in a language that they understand and take notice of? Yeah, that's, that's the million-dollar question. So this is why NB2 was created, because 
as scientists, you know, we can see problems like that and we say, ah, we're pretty flash fellas, we'll go out there and do an experiment, come up with a solution and we'll, you know, we'll tell you about the result and what you can do and bugger me, it fails, you know. So, and the reason it fails is that the problem's actually owned by the industry and they're the ones who've actually got to understand it and fix it. So a more, much more appropriate way to do it is to say, well, who cares what research is done and what's available? It doesn't really matter in the first instance. What matters is what's happening in your patch. So you need to understand. So there's, if you don't think you've got a problem with fertility, well, you're not going to go and look for a fertility solution. But if you've done a situation analysis or a business analysis, then you'll know definitively whether you have a problem and what that specific problem is and then seek specific solutions. So I think the answer to the communication trick is to help people understand their business. And if they understand their business, then then it's all uphill from there. And I think in a lot of cases, people are not understanding their business or they're not analysing it. They're trying to analyse it in a non-professional way. They could pay someone $5,000 to analyse their business for them and have, a, you know, as a consequence, a $10,000 net increase in profit per year as a consequence of, you know, analysing and looking for better opportunities. So I, I just think that we're trying to be masters of too many things and getting it wrong because we've got language problems at the, you know, as part of it. So what's that? We need to be more proactive on both sides. Producers need to be more proactive in asking for help with what you know, with analysing what they've got, and scientists need to be more proactive at changing their language. Like, what's where's the middle ground? Bloody oath! So, dead, I can tell you for sure that the scientists need to engage with industry on their terms and understand their situation because I don't, you know, most scientists are very well-meaning. Don't get me wrong. It's just that they've been uh, they've been learning their trade in a in, a, in, a, in an environment full of tech heads, you know, and not and not walking around on the ground with people who actually, if they make a decision, they pay for it. Whereas if a tech head makes a you know incorrect decision or statement, they don't pay for it personally. They still get a check every week. And um, and it, you have to, if you can engage at that level with people who, you know, um, have to make very complex decisions um, all the time, and it's not simple. And you're looking at things in a systems way. Well, then it helps them do better research um, and it helps them apply their research outcomes into business better not only that if you if you're engaging as a scientist with beef producers the beef producers get pretty g'd up about what you're doing as well because they've got a they've got a stake in it they they like it um, and if they think it's good stuff they'll make sure it works jeffrey fordyce thank you so much for your time all good jane Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.